Welcome. Welcome to the Age of Organizational Effectiveness. This is a podcast that explores stories about organizations and their performance. I'm your host, Charles Chandler. Today's episode is called Managing the Next 10,000 Years. You're probably thinking that could be a tall order, since managing the next 10 years is expected to involve global climate disruptions. But stay with me, and you could be intrigued. Civilization began the last 10,000 years in its prehistory phase as humans, living in small bands, were still emerging from the last ice age as the climate warmed. The last ice age peaked at about 20,000 years ago. 10,000 years ago, the oceans were about 130 to 140 feet lower than today, and scientists tell us that the last land bridge between Europe and Great Britain was submerged only about 10,200 years ago to become marshland, and later the English Channel. It's worth noting that it was about 10 to 12,000 years ago, at the beginning of the Neolithic Revolution, that the practice of management could be said to have started. The managers, loosely involved in the Neolithic Revolution, could be thought of as the first early managers although they may not have recognized themselves as such at the time. If we broadly define management as the practice of, number one, organizing a group around one or more ideas, two, acting on the ideas as a community or a group, three, reviewing the results, and four, repeating steps one to three, The Neolithic Revolution constituted some of the earliest efforts to do just that on a significant scale. The Neolithic Revolution was the first historically verified agricultural revolution, resulting in the domestication of several types of cereal grains, such as barley, wheat, rice, and millet, and livestock, such as goats, cows, water buffaloes, chickens, horses, all by about 8,000 years ago. It made settled agriculture possible. The first monarchies arose during this period in Samaria, which was ancient Mesopotamia, and in ancient Egypt. To put that in context, it was only about 5,500 years ago that wheeled vehicles began to appear from Bronze Age technology, along with canals and sailboats. Recorded history only started about 5,000 years ago, in the form of Sumerian cuneiform script on clay tablets. Unfortunately, we don't have much reading material to inform us about these early events. Capitalism came much later, in the 17th century, when merchants took the first steps to convert their excess capital into early factory production technology, and the Industrial Revolution was born. New sources of power such as water, steam, electric, and internal combustion engines, in turn, served to automate manual labor and improve productivity through the early part of the 20th century. Additionally, new technologies were used to improve the productivity of factories and farms. So, what was management all about in its first 10,000 years? In thinking about this, keep in mind that management practice is part of a society's culture and it utilizes widely understood methods. Frederick Lelow, in his book, Reinventing Organizations, notes that early organizations were either largely tribe-like, which he called Code Red, or hierarchical and command-driven, his Code Amber, 
These included the Roman Empire and the Catholic Church. More recent organizations have tended to be financially focused and machine-like, Code Orange, beginning with the early factories and continuing in today's large corporations. Whether it was organizing large irrigation systems 5,000 years ago, building the pyramids 4,500 years ago, Roman aqueducts 2,000 years ago, or today's corporations, the predominant idea of management has been to convert inputs, like manpower and other resources, into outputs, such as completed works or activities, in a relatively efficient manner, consistent with the technology of the day. The desired result was a completed construction project, or a well-run irrigation system. On its face, the first 10,000 years of management was about accomplishing tangible and visible activities under direct management control. That still hasn't changed. My purpose in this episode is not to recount history, however, but to consider what we need going forward to ensure successful management of the future. In the time we have left in this episode, let's consider what's needed to successfully manage the next 10,000 years. Let me suggest a context that's likely to be true going forward. First, organizations, collectively, will manage the next 10,000 years. Only organizations, such as business, government, and nonprofits, have enough resources, power, and control to do the job. Second, organizations will be nested and intertwined with other systems, large and small. For instance, organizations contain individuals, yet each individual exists within a family. A family exists within a neighborhood. A neighborhood exists within a community. A community exists within a state and nation. And a nation exists within a global community of nations. Instability within any one of these layers often affects the others in various ways. Third, management practice by its nature is socially constructed and is subject to change. Broadly speaking, management is part of the cultural tapestry of society, and culture has enabled human learning and advancement over the centuries. In short, Homo sapiens have been able to dominate their environment by building up successive layers of culture. The mammal with an advanced culture now dominates the landscape. That same mammal is now managing its environment. Given the above context, can mankind successfully navigate the next 10,000 years and create a sustainable future? Maybe, but it's important to acknowledge that today's dominant management paradigm let's call it unconscious capitalism, has created the world we now live in, and that world seems to be spinning out of control. The science of cybernetics, which deals with systems and their control, offers some instruction as to why the world seems to be spinning precariously. The first law of cybernetics, which is Ashby's law of requisite variety, states that if a system is to be stable, the number of states of its control mechanism must be greater or equal to the number of states in the system being controlled. Considering the constellation of global systems, with new technologies ever increasing the variety of states in the system, today's control mechanisms are unable to keep pace. Two clear paths appear to be available to stabilize our world and bring it under intentional management control. 
The first possibility involves the expansion of the regulatory role of the government to provide greater control over organizations. We could point to some heavy-handed and authoritarian regimes around the world attempting to, to follow this path. Yet that path is generally unavailable to free societies. A second path is available and is more congenial to open and democratic administrations. It involves instilling a culture of self-regulation and self-management within each organization in the system so that while going about its activities, it confines itself to the use of positive, higher-order values that accrue benefits to both the organization itself and the greater common good. You may be familiar with the movement called Conscious Capitalism. In a similar vein, this is what management by positive organizational effectiveness is all about. Regular listeners to this podcast will be familiar with this approach. Using management by positive organizational effectiveness, the task is no longer limited to converting inputs to outputs using objectives specified by management. Rather, the task is to convert inputs into meaningful outcomes within the environment. It is achieved by converting inputs to outputs on the supply side while also converting outputs to outcomes on the demand side. Instead of responding to arbitrary financial mandates of top management, each organization is oriented to positively serve the needs of its environment, where customers and other stakeholders live. In this scenario, effectiveness is verified by observing the exchange of benefits between the organization and its environment. First principles indicate that the exchange of positive outcome level benefits is necessary for an organization to survive and thrive and benefit the common good. Within the context of management by positive organizational effectiveness, the goal of every organization is the same, that is, to be effective within its environment while improving the whole. This goes beyond the management of visible activities under management's direct control, as in the past, to encompass meaningful outcomes that occur in the environment, yet outside of management's direct control. It's only with the achievement of meaningful outcomes in the environment that we can be sure that the organization will survive and thrive while improving its surrounding environment over time. We could call this new paradigm positive capitalism because it seeks to eliminate the negative aspects of today's capitalism. Management by positive organizational effectiveness provides a kind of embedded self-regulation and self-management that, when practiced widely, could keep the world from spinning out of control and help manage the next 10,000 years successfully. I would argue that every organization has a choice to make going forward, either to be part of the problem or part of the solution. For more information on how to reorient your organization for the next 10,000 years, pick up a copy of my 2017 book entitled Become Truly Great, Serve the Common Good Through Management by Positive Organizational Effectiveness. And that's all for today. Join me again next time when we'll consider more stories about organizations and their performance. I'm your host, Charles Chandler, saying so long for now.